This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave in the Melbourne Law Studio, protected by crime prevention 24-7. Of course, Melbourne Law, the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida. And uh, here we are on a Friday. We I think we have an open line Friday. We'll probably put the line number up. It's 352-707-9101 in case anybody wants to participate today. And we'll get that up, I'm sure, in the chat line a little bit so you'll see the number. Uh, and uh, welcome uh, to our Friday, our first Friday really in um, the <laughs> um, month of uh, January 2023. So I'm looking here at the computer at uh, uh, how's going on here, and um, I'll probably pull up the show here in a minute. But anyway, um, be that as it may, um, we will bring you an interesting kind of conversation today, I hope, that has to do with, um, I call it something called religion and sports, but I'm not going to get to that till later. I'm more interested in kind of a a thread that's running through all the things I'm going to take up with you today on that um, Courses we've been talking about for quite some time, and and we'll, we'll I'll, I'll reveal to you what that is. But let's first of all talk about some local issues here in the shining city on the hill, known as Gainesville, Florida, which is populated, I think, by the UFO genetic material that was deposited by the Lake of the Stupids in 1947. It's about the only way to explain uh, what's been going on in the city lately. I had lunch yesterday with a, a diverse group of people, uh, to use the word properly, by, by that mean diverse and they live in various places, some in the city, some in the county, some elsewhere, they all had lunch together. And to a person, they think that the city of Gainesville has lost its mind. And uh, I don't, I, you know, be that as it may, you, you know how it affects you and, and what you see and what uh, kind of interests you about this cast of characters. But a couple of things that have come to uh, light and, uh, of course, have been written about rather well, too, by our, our good partner in news here, if you will. Uh, Jennifer Cabrera and the Lotro Chronicle covers it. Um, and even I think the Gainesville Sunset got into this a little bit. But um, this whole idea about neighborhoods has finally been uh, the biggest protest has come from uh, the black community in East Gainesville. I know some of these people very, very well. They're very good people. And they don't want their neighborhood uh, fractured either uh, by inclusionary housing, which means uh, breaking up single-family neighborhoods. Um, this is no surprise to yours truly, who's been around this community for a long time. I don't know why it should be a surprise to um, the Gainesville City Commissioners, but I think I'll be able to give you some sort of explanation that has been proffered by some other observers of the behavior of this community. Um, and it's uh, now narrowly, as I understand it, been reversed four to three with the communist uh, commissioner Seiko coming back from a self-imposed uh, um, absence for losing, I guess, her mind on, this, on, the, on, the, on the dais, according to some people anyway. And, you know, she's been known to give people, the international fighter pilots salute and uh, talk disparagingly and down and threateningly to people and uh, talk about people, why aren't they dead and why, why are they still breathing air in the room and really kind of rude and crude things. Um, so combine that with uh, uh, the new boy on the block, Eastman, who is, um, you know, he's okay, good kid, I know him, but he's just a kid. And he's full of ideas, <clears throat> short on experience by nature being a kid, <clears throat> and um, I'm sure he means well, um, but, uh, uh, you know, a couple of other fellows there, and 
but they barely squeaked by with a four to three reversal, whiplash like a U-turn in the middle of the highway uh, on this inclusionary housing. And thankfully, it's a four to three verse and it should have been done. It should never have been uh, an offer, you know, Santos, the kid who couldn't remember where he slept last night. Uh, if you go look at his depositions, um, he had all these ideas and theories about how the world should work. And um, I'm going to get into an explanation of that for you, not offered by me, but offered by the new president of the University of Florida, which I want to go through with you in a moment. And kind of this is a guy who's coming to this community who's going to have to uh, be an administrator in this community. And, buddy, he has not shied away from these issues that I'm addressing right now one iota. I mean, he is taking them on from the very beginning. And um, they are being talked about by him in the Wall Street Journal. And I'll go over that with you so that you can um, um, have a have a um, idea of what this man has laid down in the line he's drawn in the sand, if you will. And and um, take it from there as you as, as you uh, as you watch the show or as you get become familiar with this uh, uh, new president of the university. Uh, the other crazy thing that's been done, and we have an excellent show on this, which a production reran as a best of when I was out a few days ago, and that was our interview with uh, uh, Whitney Burnett, who was the canine handler for Alachua Sheriff's Office, <clears throat> talking about. <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> talking about canines and the need for them. And uh, there was a detail that came out in our interview with Whitney um, that I've not seen mentioned in any other uh, article about uh, the canine GPD controversy um, that is artificially manufactured by the ideologues. And you have to understand that the uh, commission is um, in charge in the city of the police force. I went back and reviewed that show and I misspoke. Um, I kept misusing the word charter. The sheriff is not a charter officer. Uh, he's a constitutional officer. So the sheriff is not governed by um, the Alachua County Commission the way that uh, GPD is governed by the city of Gainesville Commission. Um, I misspoke. I, I said charter. I kept and, and Whitney corrected me one time, said constitutional, and, and, and the sheriff is a constitutional officer, along with the uh, property appraiser and the tax collector and the supervisor of elections. So um, this is a very important distinction because now um, this, you know, the, the Lonnie Scott, obviously a political prisoner of the city commission, um, he's replaced the laterally moved former chief. Tony Jones, who still draws handsome checks. I mean, my golly, the guy ought to be, uh, he ought to be giving out uh, um, stock trading advice. I mean, as much money as he's made out of being a cop. And he, well, nobody knows really what he's doing now. He's just politically somewhere behind a, uh, a desk. God knows what, doing what, uh, but being paid. So Lonnie Scott has been moved in as the chief. And as I say, he's a political prisoner. And I have it on very, very good testimony, <clears throat> very good source that this uh, Bradley kid who ran from the cops and lost his eye did not lose his eye to the dog. He lost it to a stick on the hedges and he was hiding in. So, uh, I, you know, it's just uh, it's just more. You know, I'm pretty sure that will eventually come out if it's actually so. But I have every reason to believe it's so. Because um, it's been reported by so many people who uh, uh, who have seen the actual photographs and know the story behind the story. And yet you see what happens is the ideologues continue to push their view of reality and necessity and uh, mournful complaints. So they have this series of mournful complaints, uh, how bad, uh, um, you know, this is or that is that they don't agree with politically. And they're whining is getting is, is, is dominating conversations. It's, um, you know, I've been in, in classroom enough to know that the loudest voice in the classroom is if you don't govern them, if you don't restrict them some way, um, they will shut all the good ones up. And, and you have to devise a strategy or um, an operational method um, that um, 
eliminates their ability to dominate because uh, they're almost always uh, the most emotionally un, un, uh, unhinged and they, they'll run away with a conversation in a classroom and the others just won't bother. Uh, they, they just don't, they don't have the, the energy to uh, put up with it and don't want to deal with it. And that's often is the case with every other form of discourse or debate or would be debate is um, the loud, um, you know, one gets uh, dominates a reasonable one. So that is certainly the case in this canine deal. If the Gainesville Sunset, I believe this is where I read it, I may have read it in the Chronicle, um, the, the, the canine dogs have been sent home. Home. They're not out working. A canine dog is a police officer. So here we are, we have a police officer deficit. And they're rationalizing this by saying, well, we need that officer on patrol rather than on patrol with a dog. Now, if you've got half a sense, half a lick of sense, you'll know that doesn't that doesn't work. You know that you know you actually have reduced the number of officers. You've not increased them. The officers with the dogs were always on patrol. What do you mean patrol? Walking a beat? No, they're in a car. On patrol or in a car? With a dog or in a car? This kind of gobbledygook is amazing. It's just amazing that uh, that would be uh, something that you would use as a bureaucracy, as a commission to, ration, to rationalize and justify an irrational position. But that's where we are. That's where we are. Now, to make my point, the sheriff is a constitutional officer. All the sheriffs are constitutional officers. Their canine op, uh, operation not going anywhere. I mean, they're going to be keeping them. Now, what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen. GPD is going to need dogs. So they're going to call the sheriff. As I said, the thing that did not get covered in anything that I've read is that businesses buy these dogs for police forces. These dogs are expensive. The number I heard in our interview with Burnett was six grand for a dog. That doesn't even take into account the training. Businesses, because they want to support police work, they want to support canines, buy the dogs and donate them to the... So here are dogs. I think there's six. I don't hold me to that. That somebody bought and paid for and trained. You talk about financial waste. You talk about crazy. And I haven't seen anybody report this. Nobody has reported the price of these dogs and who buys them and how these police force come to have them. Now, if I were a business and I bought a dog for GPD and the communist commissioner who hates cops participated in a vote or whatever it took to get Lonnie Scott, the prisoner, uh, the, the political prisoner, to stand the dogs down, I'd be livid. I'd be livid. Got to take a sip of fiend here. Do you follow the logic of this? Do you, do you follow this? Do you understand what we're talking about? I mean, it's nuts. You, you do the thinking a minute. You do the thinking. Does it make sense to you? <clears throat> so here we have, now let's get this straight, Ray. Uh, they would rather an officer get shot than a criminal be bitten. Um, and in this case, as I say, it was a stick on the hedge. 
That's the report I'm getting. We'll see. Or maybe we won't see. Maybe it won't be convenient for the ideologue-driven commission to know that. Now, if they're reversing inclusionary housing, they need to reverse this and go back and say to the political prisoner, Lonnie Scott, uh, Captain, what are they, Colonel, whatever they've given him, you need to get the dogs back out there on, in the cars with the handlers on patrol. Well, what would it take to do that? It will take a bunch of people, no doubt, to go down and scream and shout at the city commission by the Lake of the Stupids, just exactly like apparently has happened with inclusionary housing and all that business. And then hope you can get a four to three vote. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And you might say, oh, well, I've written off the city of Gainesville, as many guys said I was with, at lunch with yesterday. Let them go their way. I'm not going to live in that town. I'm not going to be in that. Da, 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 da. Um, hey, you might have to drive through it one day. And when you drive through it, you might just happen to bump into some crime. Imagine that. And when you bump into some crime, it might just be the criminal who has the upper hand rather than the canine handlers who don't exist. So we've got Whitney Bennett watch. I see he's just checked on. And that show, if you need to go back and look at it, really probably educates you more than anything else you'll learn about canines and their handlers, but the detail that I'm saying has not been in any press that I know of is the way in which these dogs are paid for in the first place. So if this bothers you and you're in the Gainesville city, well, you know, maybe you can't imagine yourself being affected by this, whereas you can with your single uh, uh, housing neighborhood. But Somebody needs to take up this hue and cry and bring these people back to their senses. And by the way, it's, it's, it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. And there's a paradox here. Here we are. The rationale is, oh, we need to get these guys out on patrol because we're short so many officers. Why are you short so many officers? Because you're making these stupid kind of political intrusions into professional police work for, for racial reasons. That's the only reason. It's never anything but race. It's always about race. Trust me, there's never any other intrusion, motivation in the police work, but race. It's, it's, just been, it's been the drum that's been beaten and beaten and beaten and beaten. Back to my point. You're not going to get anywhere when the classroom is dominated by the loudest voice. Because the reasonable voices will just shut up. I've seen it. Well, I don't, it never happened in my classroom because I wouldn't let it happen. Now, on the state level, we've got a governor who is, the more this drags out, by the way, with looking for the man on the white horse with the silver bullet to run the house, the more you'll hear Governor DeSantis's name mentioned. Because you see, Trump backed McCarthy. Well, 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 guess whose name that caused to be talked about more? It was, of course, DeSantis. And guess who has been one of the ones who has also become known for this? It's our Black representative from Florida. Very articulate fellow. 
Florida now is the spotlight of the nation. Make no mistake about it, it is the spotlight of the nation. And if you take a look at Alachua County, along with the two or three others, Leon and a couple down south, those counties are like isolated loony bins. The rest of the state is all on board. This is drawing enormous national attention. And what the governor has done is he has asked the universities to give him an accounting of how much they spend on programs and initiatives. Once again, Jennifer Cabrera has written about this, other people, well, really, Wall Street Journal is also writing about it in another way I'm going to talk about it in a minute. But we've been, listen, I'm going to go through once again what we've got on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. We've known about this for a long time. And thank goodness it's, it's, got, it's gotten up to the governor. For a while, I didn't think anybody would be talking about it but the Ward Scott files. But now the governor is asking for an audit on how, what you spend on Diversity, diversity, equity, and inclusion, otherwise known as DEI, and critical race theory. What are you spending on it? What are you spending on it? And I can tell you right now, you know, I'm going to go back and just refresh you on what we have out on the top bulletin board that we've had out there for a long time. Here we are, go look at it. It's the UF dance student uh, post that is attacking dance programs at the university, which are classical, of course, European-based, as examples of systemic racism, white supremacy, and has set up, and I've underlined it here, concrete actions for which we can be held accountable. That's faculty evaluations. If you don't get with this wokeism, which means what? You are a racist, you are a white supremacist, well, then you're not going to be hired long or work long at the university. And I gotta tell you, this President Fox condoned and made this sort of conversation possible. Special faculty meetings. This is all done on Fox's watch for anti-racism efforts. Um, they wanted an anti-racist work which is called Black Indigenous People of Color. They wanted that all worked into faculty evaluations. They wanted to decentralize colonial Eurocentric perspectives in dance technique. I'm reading from the document that's out there on Wolvertop Bulletin Board. Faculty and staff, they had a training workshop to get your mind right, okay? Faculty and staff are expected to participate in three days. Are you ready for this? The title of the workshop, Undoing Racism. This is in 2020. There's gonna be a student dance council that will try to undo racism in dance. Then you have individual faculty responses to this. The names are right here. It's a public document. You can go look at these people on Wartop Bulletin Board. Here's a, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to say the woman's name, but she's an adjunct. And adjuncts are the most vulnerable people of all in the teaching profession because they're part-timers, they're paid a lesser rate, 
and they don't have any tenure protection. Uh, they're not in the professor or assistant professor or associate professor yet. They want to get there. They want to get there, though. So to get there, they've got to talk the talk that those who are going to approve them talk. And this is what this particular, I'm just reading the sentence. I'm not going to mention her name. It's there. As a white female, I am fully committed to deepening my understanding and awareness of systemic racism and devise ways to dismantle it in my everyday life and classes. Are you kidding me? As a white American professor of dance and faculty researcher in African studies and Latin American studies, I deepen my commitment, this is another person, this is a professor, to center the experience of black global innovators as foundational to the history, present, and future of dance, and in my teaching and research, to always value the human being first, there you go. There you go. Here's a person who is a black male associate professor. I'm committed to deepening my awareness of how systemic racism is embedded in my understanding of how I interact with others in the world. Please, my man, please. And then you can look at the curriculum vita of the person who is maybe perhaps still, I don't know, uh, the dean or the head of that department. It's all out there. It's all out there for you to look at. Incredible, huh? Huh, huh, huh? So Governor Ron DeSantis is going to go have an audit. What are you spending on these programs, you just heard the university is conducting to get people's minds right. It has nothing to do with their ability to teach the subject, by the way. The subject is dance. I hope you understand that. How much do they spend on diversity, equity, and inclusion administrators? My golly. Do you realize that is every institution. I mean, the city's got one. The county's got one, I guess. I know the school board's got one. Officers of diversity inclusion are paid six figures. To do what? To do what? So DeSantis has issued a memorandum to the Education Commissioner and to the Board of Governors wanting to know what you spend on this stuff. I ain't done yet. Let me take a break. Come back, I'm going to tell you what the new president of the University of Florida has to say about this. Ward Scott and the Ward Scott Files. We'll be back after our bottom of the hour break. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. 
Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ford Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida. Uh, still alive and well. It's always iffy, I guess, you know, when you get to be where I am in the world um, and, and on the mortality treadmill. Uh, getting up there, brothers and sisters. You know, I ain't no spring chicken anymore, but, um, you know, we'll take every day we can get. Well, it's in the 40s here. We had a little weather shift. Uh, I'm kind of pleasantly surprised. I looked out the window of the studio here before we went live, and we had born, and about an hour ago, not one, but two calves. And I don't know what the odds are of having two calves born almost of different mothers, of course, in this case, uh, of because um, they, they can be sometimes from the same mother, um, almost at the same time. And I looked out, and there they were at the uh, fence over here outside the studio being licked by their mothers, which is the first thing the mothers do is lick, uh, uh, lick off the placenta and and uh, make sure that they these calves are ready to go uh, uh, almost instantly. They're up and moving probably within about 15 minutes at the most. So there are two out there right now. It's kind of interesting. They were born on a little chilly morning here on the farm, and um, we're probably going to have a little chilly day tomorrow. Nothing like we've had in the past uh, few weeks, of course. Uh, we don't think we got that coming anytime soon. But anyway... We've had big weather changes. The biggest weather change globally, evidently, has been in Europe, uh, where there is no ski for the ski resorts. Uh, no snow for the ski resorts, whereas out west, there's all kinds of snow for the ski, of, us, of our continent, all kinds of snow uh, for the ski resorts. So go figure. Yeah, I know what it is. It's climate change and all the above. So uh, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. I mean, um, it's, you know, okay. So, and I know the real skiers, rather than go to Europe, they'll come to, to uh, Utah and Colorado. And now even California. So, you know, if it were the other way around, they'd just hop on a plane and go to you know, Europe and ski. That's, you know, they go where the where the snow is. So uh, the ski resorts, though, down are down in Europe because it's warm. But they've got rare snow, uh, quite a bit of snow in Southern California. So... However you look at it, that's the way it works. And climate change people are not going to be able to do anything about that. I don't care what they blame it on. That's my weather report for the halftime here. On uh, Thanks to Lewis Oil and Wendell Lewis, who likes to claim she's 29 forever and forever young. And bless her, let her, let her try to. Uh, I'm all for trying to do that. Well, well, we got the phone line open in case anybody wants to get in here and, and chat about anything. But um, I'm also looking at the chat line. And um, I want to give you, you know, a summary of what new president Ben Sass, I, I don't 
I haven't heard his name said enough to know exactly how it's said. Sassy, I think. It's the way I'm going to say it. And if I say it wrong, I'll come back and apologize next time I have a show. But um, this guy who is, I, I, you know, this is the first time I remember a president of the university. And it might be just the fault, you know, my, my memory is faulty. But it's the first time I remember the president of the university um, being having a lengthy opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal. And you, I think you have been following, those of you who follow the show know that we have followed the uh, disgruntled reaction to uh, this choice of president of the university by the faculty. The faculty are just hue and cry, bemoaning, complaining, oh my God, you know, they thought up all kinds of excuses. I wasn't vetted or, you know, this guy is one of them and we're not one of them and, and the whole, whole night, you name it. It's, it's um, you know, that, that faculty lives in the city of Gainesville. Uh, the, the products of that relationship become your city commissioners in Gainesville and your county commissioners. So you've got a little bit of an education there on how they're all, those dots are connected. But he has an opinion piece, which came out Tuesday of this week uh, in, uh, in, in the Wall Street Journal, and it's called America's True Divide, Pluralists versus Zealots. Now, if you're like me, when you see somebody use those terms, the next thing you want to know is what is your definition of them? And right off the bat, he does um, de define what he means by it. And he says this is the most important divide in American politics. Uh, it isn't red versus blue. Now, let me just talk to you about the word and subject politics. Uh, the algorithms are being retooled for these tech platforms among which is Facebook, on which we are now uh, talking to you, from which we're now talking to you, to search more and more for political things and to uh, de-emphasize their being offered on these platforms. Um, so just stay tuned. If you know one day you have a uh, you know nothing on the screen, you'll know that uh, um, the, the algorithms have been set to go looking for political conversations on their platforms because those political plat uh, conversations don't match the politics of the owner of the platform. In the case of Zuckerberg, we know that Zuckerberg gave all this money to these liberal counties. Uh, he actually offered it to many of the uh, counties, but a lot of the uh, conservative ones didn't take it. So, and it, we know that it made a difference in voting because it was spent the money on absentee ballots, which are not very well policed. Now, into this mix, arriving in our community and taking office here very soon at the University of Florida is a guy that is completely opposite, I would say, based on what I see here from President Fox. Fox, a computer engineer in training, by the way, tolerated the type of this uh, conversation I just shared with you that is out on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board that came from internal uh, public documents at the university he, he was the president of. I'll ask you if you think this president is going to do that when I go through his opinion piece with you. First of all, he says that pluralists are people who value debate and persuasion. Now, a pluralist, in other words, I think he's using that term to mean there's a plurality of opinions there's a plurality of points of view, and you don't try to limit the ones you don't agree with. You let them all debate, and the emphasis should be on the debate training rather than the censorship of the points of view. That makes perfect sense to me, and this is coming from the new president of the University of Florida. He tackles this right away, looks like to me. He's not going to condone systemic racism expenditures. What does it have to do with the subject matter? And what does it have to do with open and free debate, which he obviously is saying he stands for? He also says that because you value debate and persuasion, you're valuing, of course, uh, thinking, and that's what the universities are, should be about. Uh, and that the people who believe in debate and persuasion or believe in America because America is founded on that. And if you go back and look at the Senate debates, 
you go back and look at the conversations, this uh, uh, black Republican we have from the state of Florida, by the way, is saying, hey, all this search for uh, the, the man on the white horse, so to speak, is good because we're having a debate about it. And that's what we should be doing, which is exactly the um, tech, uh, the, the interpretation you get from Pelosi or some of the news outlets. It, you know, they trying to cast this effort by uh, to find a Speaker of the House as uh, discon disconcerting and and and, and uh, uh, evidence of confusion. When this man says, I think his name is McDonald. I have to look his name up. I think it's Brian Brian something. I should know it. Um, says no, it's an indication of strength. So he says that a plurus believes that a government framework should be very small and the only reason it should exist is to protect us from the emotional outbursts of the mobs and the, and, uh, the loud people. In other words, exactly what is shouted down the existence of the canine corps uh, there in the city of Gainesville. The city of Gainesville is basically being run by the mobs. And if you follow the reasoning of this president, he's gonna be living in a city that is run by exactly what he has uh, 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 disapproval for. So he says that the, those zealots, um, that would be the um, city commission, the inclusionary people, uh, they are, uh, they believe in the center of life as government power. The government power is the be all end all and the more powerful the democracy, the better the government. So they thrive, he says, and I think this is interesting, to create chaos out of which they can make the case for more government power. And if you take a look at this chaos, it's been created, been created over the um, so-called uh, dog bite of the, of the criminal. Uh, that is exactly how they've used that. They have emotionally amplified that incident, listened to the zealots, and uh, they have come out of that with a stronger application of government power. By government decree, they have ordered the political prisoner, the chief of GPD, to ask the canines to stand down. That is an example of what this president of university incoming greatly disapproves of. So it's gonna be interesting how he's treated by the city commissioners of Gainesville because he's antithetical to them. Uh, he doesn't approve of the emphasis of uh, tribalism that uh, these people tend to create, these zealots. Uh, they do everything, he says, on the basis of identity politics, on very superficial ways of evaluating it. Uh, color or gender uh, is uh, not taking into account character or uh, depth of, 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 of the human being. Uh, so. Um, this is what he, he comes out and uses the word stupidity. It's the stupidity of tribalism uh, that has made politics about uh, partisan identities. You know, that is pretty powerful stuff uh, coming from, I'm gonna, as far as I need to go with this, that is pretty powerful stuff uh, coming from the incoming president of the University of Florida. And it puts him right squarely across ways in the road with the faculty of the university and the commissioners of the community, uh, the liberals of the community. And you can see why the choice was made by the board of governors because a Republican legislature, a Republican governor, a state that has the attention of the entire nation is where this president will be, he automatically, I'm telling, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm going to suggest to you, will have more visibility, more presence than any other president of any other university in the state. And that's saying a lot, my friends. That is saying a lot. When you count up all the presidents, well, there are at least 10 and probably now 15 pretty good sized state universities. 
uh, not counting the community colleges, which have become colleges. Um, that's saying a lot. That's that is saying a, a lot. So the 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 uh, whole concept of education has been focused up until now pretty much here on the local school boards. In our case, of course, Palatra County School Board. It's more than just K through 12 where this exists. This is all through the universities as well. And the community colleges are, are in it too. So one of the most interesting places, and I know Fox News took this up yesterday, and I made to take, I mean, I meant to take it up a little bit earlier. Is a school that is called, of all things, uh, Thomas Jefferson High. It's in Virginia. And in this school, Thomas Jefferson High, a parent realized that they had a national uh, merit award scholarship um, son who didn't get recognized. And come to find out, it's because the school never allowed that recognition to be publicly known. They didn't advertise that they had national merit scholars. And when the parent asked why, they said, oh, well, we don't believe in meritocracy. We want everybody to feel good. We didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings because they were not a merit scholar. We want equal outcomes for every student without exception. You know, the irony that is taking place at some place called Thomas Jefferson is amazing. If you go back and, as, as I said, read uh, the education article in I'll Take My Stand, one of the things that was lost when the South lost the war against Yankee aggression um, was the concept of how one is educated. And Jefferson believed that everybody should get an education. But you got the education based upon your commitment to it. And he designed what he thought was the ideal way to educate the nation's youth. For those who want to do the cerebral things, use their minds and read the books and do the writing, they are on the academic track. But not everybody wants to be on the academic track. Some people enjoy working with their hands. And so what has come to be known as middle school now, about the eighth grade, Jefferson's system, and I'm quoting from memory on this article now, reason that uh, if you don't want to continue on the academic track, there's no reason why you should have to. And you can test over to what, for lack of a better term, he didn't use it, but we use it, vocational track. You can learn to use your skills a different way in the trades or in the crafts or uh, and that will not be demeaned, dishonored, de-emphasized. It's just a different track. And should you go over there and get in that track and suddenly decide you want back in the academic track, you can test back into it. But you're not required to stay in it if it doesn't motivate you. But we need to get everybody involved in learning. And people learn different things at different times in their lives for different reasons. When the South lost the war against Yankee aggression, the industrial model of education replaced Jefferson's model and the industrial model is the one we all know and went through. 
It's based upon an assembly line. Everybody moves along a conveyor belt from 1 to 12, the same time, the same courses, same credits, evaluated by grades. And that system is designed to sort of identify these national merit type kids who'd excel. But the ones who don't excel don't have anywhere to go because Jefferson model was done away with. And so they tend to do less well. And of all things, Jefferson's high school wants to compensate for that discrepancy by penalizing the ones who did well rather than the ones who didn't. It is another example of upside down. The, it's called the equity agenda. The equity agenda. Can you believe that? The equity agenda. So these people were called out at Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology in Alexandria, Virginia. And I think there's going to be perhaps some legal ramifications of this. Because have you not, by not allowing this young man to be identified as a National Merit Scholar, penalized him, maybe even financially, or cost him getting into school he wants to get into? Not over. Not over. I'm watching my time. I want to come back on a double back on a couple of things here. I don't want to get back to why I called today's show religion and sports. And by the way, there has been a jury selection date set for a 2020 inmate voter beep case that we discovered. There's going to be a selection of a jury that's going to occur March 20th at 8.30 a.m. because Leroy James Ross Jr. wants the world to know how he was duped into, if you will, being told he could vote, allegedly duped into being told he could vote. Don't forget that. We'll cover that. Religion and sports. I want to just close on this and see if this, uh, let me see if I can get my notes together here. Um, you do recall, do you not, that um, The U.S. Supreme Court ruled in June that a Bremerton, Washington high school football coach was improperly fired for praying with his players after games. Now, what type of school system would do that? Well, the type of school system we've been talking about. that is going on at the University of Florida that the new president has addressed and that is going on at Thomas Jefferson High School where we have equity, uh, equity uh, merit rather than real meritocracy. So that was only the most recent Martin Swain writes of the high court cases involving the question of whether prayer on public grounds is, is and isn't permissible. And uh, the American liberals have been pushing, uh, the zealots have been pushing and pushing uh, to eliminate prayer. There's a secular society they want. So the idea that prayer is improper at big time sporting events, you remember that Tim Tebow was criticized for taking a knee 
and praying on the field or giving a prayerful posture on the field. But as Barton Swain points out, you couldn't, by Supreme Court decree, you couldn't by school board decree, you couldn't by police decree, stop those players from collectively praying when the bill's safety, DeMar Hamlin, collapsed. The Baycor Stadium, Mr. Swain points out in his article, where the Bengals play is owned by Hamilton County. It's public property. Now, the Supreme Court has had to get involved on whether prayer on public grounds is permissible. Guess what? By demonstration, collectively, the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals said, without probably knowing it, butt out Supreme Court, butt out politics, butt out you secular liberals. We got to, we got a problem bigger than human beings here. We've got a spiritual problem. And by the way, in case you ever wonder about it, I believe all life's problems are ultimately spiritual. And these players demonstrated, demanded, so writes Hamlin, a, a religious response. The announcers on television lowered their head and prayed. There ain't no tech platform going to stop that. This is the ultimate, I think, point of all this. You can censor, you can try to be a zealot and stop the pluralists from talking. But if it gets to be a spiritual problem, you ain't going to stop it with any political structure. You're not going to stop it. There was even an instance where a Bengals fan held up a hastily made placard bearing the words, pray for Buffalo number three. Supreme Court decision, Hamilton County rules, be damned. The NFL, of course, trying to be mindful issued a statement advising only that his thoughts were with Mr. Hamlin. The NFL is a business. It's like Coke is a business. It's like Disney is a business. So the NFL says thoughts. And a day later, the league changed its social media avatar together with those of all 32 professional teams to an image of Mr. Hamlin's number three Bill's jersey bearing the words, pray for tomorrow. Isn't this interesting stuff? That's why I call today's show Religion and Sports. But really it should be called Government's futile attempt to administer spiritual needs. This whole 
episode. And the word prayer, I kept counting the number of times as I watched the situation, came up again and again and again. And I kept thinking, even before these articles came out, about the Supreme Court and all this stuff about the Ten Commandments shall not be viewed on the public land, this, that, one, you know. You get down bad enough, you get down scary enough, and buddy, you'll see what we're talking about. Have a great weekend. Warthog Command Center out.